This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we're going to see how well I can discipline my time, okay? In Acts chapter 2, you see the early church uh, being born, literally. Uh, Jesus has ascended to be with the Father. He has invested in a small band of disciples uh, we know as apostles. Uh, He grew them. He nurtured them. uh, He taught them uh, the, the ways of the kingdom. And then he left to be with the Father and left them in charge. And somehow he took this group, many of them who were unlearned men, untrained men, and in many ways, men whom the world would have looked at and said, uh, really, the kingdom through you? Um, but it was the, the men whom he took a chance on, and then he commissioned them, and within just a little bit of time, the scriptures say that they had turned the world upside down. And in Acts chapter 2, you see the, the church in its infancy. And as Dr. Luke as we referenced him last week, um, is now writing a biography or a history of the early church, the the follow-up to his blockbuster hit, The Gospel of Luke. Um, In Acts chapter 2, he is simply writing about the early church, and in verses 42 through 47, we read simply some characteristics, some personifying traits, some personifying practices of the early church as they're beginning to figure all this stuff out of what it means to follow Jesus and to know Jesus and to make him known. And so this has been a passage that we have repeatedly gone back to over and over again in the life of Mill City Church. Because what I want to show you today through this passage and a few others, I want to show you some of the core passages where we get some of our core principles and core theology of the church from here at Mill City and why we believe so wholeheartedly in them. And here in Acts 2, 42, I'm going to read this aloud and you follow along with me in your hearts as I read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people." And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Mill City Church started about eight and a half years ago. We started in September of 2008. And we started out of Christian Student Fellowship at UMass Lowell. Um, I had been serving here for about six years uh, on campus as evangelical campus minister. And the Lord just really favored our work there. In the course of those six years, our student group had grown from about a dozen or so students to to close to a hundred on a weekly basis, meeting together for prayer and Bible study and being sent out on the campus to make disciples of other students. Uh, Students were going on mission trips, both domestically as well as abroad, and were gaining a heart more and more for their city. And really and truly, I believe the impetus for the beginning of Mill City Church really began on those mission trips because there were several of those trips where we were partnering with church planters 
in inner cities or downtown areas of big cities like Cleveland, Ohio, and Wilmington, Delaware, and Montreal, uh, Quebec, and Los Angeles, California. And what was happening is students were participating in projects all across the country, in North America, literally, if you add in Canada, where they were helping churches reach the downtown corridors of their cities. And students just really started gaining a heart for seeing this happening here in Lowell. And so what happened really in 2008 was this confluence of events that only the Lord could orchestrate is he was growing that group and he was growing a heart for the city in that group. At the same time, our North American Mission Board of Southern Baptists, which I have always been a missionary of since I've lived here, uh, really started making a focus on what, what we know now as collegiate church planting. And collegiate church planting was in its infancy at the time, and, and we decided to take a chance there. So there was that from our mission organization where that was going on. And then locally, Hope Fellowship Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, had a strong heart to plant other gospel-preaching churches in Metro Boston in similar areas as where they were. And Lowell really fit a lot of the demographics and a lot of the focuses that they were focusing on. And so you had that piece. And so there were three different big-picture factors that were going on that, that contributed to the confluence of events that led to the start of Mill City. We started in fall of 2008 with about 15 people in my apartment right across the street in Boot Mills. And the 15 of us, it was our staff, and it was about uh, uh, 8 to 10 current college students at UMass Lowell, and then a handful of key alums who had recently graduated. And we had no idea what God was going to do through this new community. We had no idea how God would use us, how he would grow us, but we started. And that was eight years ago. And today, this is Mill City Church looking around you. And by all numbers of uh, metrics, Mill City Church is not a megachurch. Mill City Church, uh, by American standards, is still a fairly small church. By New England standards, we're probably a little bit bigger than the average. But what I want to show you today is through the vision that we have and the mission we have and the DNA that's written inside of us, I want to show you how God is using this family of God to make a name for himself, not only here, but also in New England and around the globe in ways that churches who are 30, 40, 100 years old are simply not seeing. You were a part of something so significant here. And it's not because of the greatness of who we are, but because of the provision and the growth of the gospel that God himself has orchestrated here. And so I'm going to pause on Acts 2 for a moment, and I want to work through some logistics here before we dive into the heart of our message. So what are some foundations of our mission? If you've seen any of our literature, if you've gone onto our website, you saw the welcome banner as you walked in this morning, you even see it printed on the worship guide that's in front of you. Our mission is to connect campus and community to Christ and his mission. To connect campus and community to Christ and his mission. And so I want to turn these into prayers this morning as you begin working through your outline that you should have there in your worship guides. First, Father, use us to connect people to Jesus Christ. It has been in the heart of us as a church from our very beginning to preach the gospel 
to share the gospel with our friends, our roommates, our coworkers, our family members, to share the gospel so that people would hear this gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit would repent and place faith in Jesus and would have relationship with God and be restored to right relationship with God as God so desires for all people to have. And so the the very first foundation is for the Father to use us to connect people to Jesus. But the second part, I believe, is just as crucial. We also want to pray, Father, use us to connect people to his mission. We believe that the great commission of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, when he says, make disciples of all nations, is not a commission simply given to the varsity team. It's not simply a mission given to the vocational missionaries or to those of us who have uh, master's degrees or doctoral degrees from seminaries. We believe that the Great Commission is for every single Christ follower. And so as a church, it's our heart to connect people in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but also to show them that he saves them to be a part of his mission. And he has tasked each and every one of us with that responsibility. Now, who are the people whom God has called us to reach and to whom to focus on? So every church has its unique DNA. And so there are some churches that are very family-focused. They exist to primarily invest in families and grow families. There are other churches that primarily are in inner cities, and they're reaching an inner-city demographic. There are some that are in in more rural parts, and uh, their their faith family is really comprised of a large part middle to upper-middle-class folks. What is our demographic? What is our focus? Well, if you just simply look at demographics, look across the room. This room is so stinking diverse. This room is diverse ethnically. Uh, This room is diverse socioeconomically. This room is very diverse uh, academically. There are folks here who do not have high school educations. There are folks here who have master's degrees. Uh, The Lord has given us a very diverse people. But then we have to start asking, what is our focus? What is our primary missional focus? And the answer to that question is college students and young adults. You say, say, well, wait a minute, I'm not a college student. And I don't know that I, I think I may have surpassed the age of being a, quote, young adult. So does this mean that Mill City Church is not for me? Uh, Not so fast. Not so fast. Because when we started eight years ago, we started with the mentality of, We want to be a bridge between campus and community. God has done a work on our campus. God has done a work in students, and we have watched students literally grow up from a new believer as a freshman in college to now we're dedicating their first and second children as they are now growing as young adults with families and everything in between. We have members who are in their 40s who are single, and they're single for Jesus, And they are making a difference in their community and their workplace and the apartment complex where they live. Uh, We have members who are in their 50s and 60s who have intentionally made the decision to say, you know what, I'm 55 years old. I've been a believer for 40 years. And the church has been about me long enough. And so I'm going to go to this particular place, this particular time, and invest my retirement years, or as I, inter- as I enter into retirement years, to invest in the next generation. And so we are a multi-generational family 
who happens to have college students and young adults, the next generation, as our primary local mission here in Lowell. And so we want you to know that whether you are 15 in this place today or whether you are 75 or 80 in this place today, you can be a part of our faith family here as we focus on this specific mission that we sense that God has given to us. So foundations of our mission. Father, use us to connect people to Jesus Christ. Father, use us to connect people to his mission. Now, foundations of our vision. Now, I've told you a little bit of where we've come from, but let me ask the question, who are we? And what I mean by who are we, first of all, let's think about who are we as individuals who follow Jesus Christ. And then let's put that in the greater context of we are a faith family of individuals who follow Jesus Christ. So now we are a body who follows Jesus Christ. Who are we? And for that, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is another core passage that I believe is integral in understanding our ministry DNA here at Mill City Church. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul writes very articulately about the transformation that has taken place as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he has taken lost sinners, once named enemies of God, and he has now brought us into his kingdom and calls us sons and daughters of God. And verse 10 tells us that we are now created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then in verse 11, he makes a turn. And he starts talking about the before and after, who we once were and who we now are as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this because this is crucial in understanding how we're comprised here at, at Mill City. Beginning in verse 11, the apostle writes this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who once were far off and peace to those who were near." For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I'll stop there. There are two radical truths that we see in this text. One of those truths is very radical to the world. And I would say that another one of those truths is both radical to the world as well as can be radical to many people who name the name of Jesus in the United States of America. Number one, who are we? We are people whom Jesus saves to himself. Therefore, we gain a new identity. Jesus has saved us to himself, therefore we gain a new identity. He talks about the two, the people who were actually uh, Jewish by birth, 
They were ethnically Jewish. They were descendants from Israel, the people of God, the nation of Israel from the Old Testament. And there was a tendency among that group of people to think that somehow they were better than the Gentiles, those who were not born in the lineage of Israel. And and they had a superiority complex, if we wanted to call it that. And they thumbed their nose at the Gentile believers who had been converted to following Jesus Christ. And Paul makes it very clear clear that whether you were once far off from the family of God being a Gentile or whether you were very near to the family of God and being Jewish by birth that Jesus Christ has come to knock down this wall of hostility between your racial tensions do you think the gospel has any application for America today absolutely absolutely because the gospel crosses ethnic boundaries The gospel crosses our traditions of man. And what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 is that when we are saved, when we become a follower of Jesus, we are not simply choosing eternity in heaven over eternity in hell. That Jesus is saving us to himself by his blood and literally giving us a new identity. Now that's radical to the world. That's radical to the world because the world tells us that our identity is the color of our skin. It's radical to the world because the world tells us that our identity is our sexual orientation. The Bible says that God wants our identity to be found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So that's what's taking place when we become Christians by responding to the gospel. Jesus saves us to himself and we gain a new identity. But secondly, Jesus also saves us to his people. And here is the truth where I believe that this, this thing is driving me nuts today. Um, Jesus also, this is radical for the church. Because in America, we live in a very individualistic culture where life is all about me, the wife, and the kids. It's all about our local families, it's all about our biological families. And as long as I'm cared for there and I'm fulfilling my responsibilities there, then the church, just as well as every other civic institution, government, or other entity, it serves to better my life and my family. Or if we are single adults like I am, we can think that, you know what? I I am my own man. I am my own woman. My life is my business. And so when I go to the church, I'm looking for a church that is primarily gonna minister to my needs and my wants and my desires. This is the American way, right? God bless America. But when we look at the scriptures here, the Apostle Paul shows us another radical truth. You see, the whole thing about the gospel and identity is radical to the world. But I believe here's the point that is very radical to the church and radical to Christ followers. When you look at verse 19, this is huge. He sums this up by saying, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, isn't it interesting that the apostle, the apostle Paul here, does not describe the church as an organization. He does not call it an institution. He does not call it just a civic club where you can get together with like-minded friends. He calls the church the household of faith. 
This isn't the only place, and because of the brevity of our time this morning, I can't show you all the places in the New Testament that talks about the church as a family. But let this one be the primary overarching theme of, that new, of the New Testament in showing whom God has saved us to, not only to himself, but also to his people. Just a few books over, the same Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy gives what I, what I really believe is a great passage of personification of what relationships in the body of Christ are supposed to be. And most of us, if we were reading the book of 1 Timothy, I believe would just simply drive right past verses 1 and 2 in order to get to the meat of the argument Paul is trying to make. But we would be very careless if we did that. Look at what he says to Timothy, this young pastor serving at the church of Ephesus in the first century. He says, do not rebuke an older man in 1 Timothy 5, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. And so Paul there is summing up the relational qualities that we are supposed to have in the body of Christ. It's not that we are like this, it is the fact that we are this. When I look at any man or woman of God who is a Christian, who is older than me, they are like, they are mothers and fathers in the faith. When I look at a brother or sister who is maybe similar life stage to me, when I'm looking at them, they are my brother and my sister in the faith. And when I'm looking at, at, at brothers and sisters in the Lord who are younger than me, those are my sons and my daughters in the faith. What the Bible starts teaching us is that we're not like a family. We are a family. And this colors what we do as a church. It colors how we view our relationship. It colors how we interpret our mission. It even interprets the way we see our identity. You're going to find here at Mill City Church, if you're here for a short amount of time, if you're here for a longer period of time, uh, you're going to find that there are a lot of things that we simply don't offer here. And we're very strategic in that. Uh, you can find mega churches in our area. You can find many churches that are larger than us. And you can find churches that have life stage ministries from literally cradle to the grave. And everything in between. The general practice of the 21st century Western church is to come together as the body and we may all sit in the same auditorium. And we may say that we're multi-generational because we have all different types of people sitting in one auditorium. But when you look at the discipleship structures and you look at the life structures and the programs of most churches in America, and I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm just trying to draw a contrast. The general practice in America is to keep us separated and segmented from preschool to senior adult. And so as far as life on life goes, very rarely are 60-year-olds with 20-year-olds. Very rarely are 40-year-old people with teenage children in the room with 25-year-old parents who have babies. Very rarely are married couples mixed together in close community with people who are 30 and single. We don't see those separations in the New Testament. We don't see Jesus. We don't see the Apostle Paul separating us by life stage, separating us by marital state, or separating us um, by socioeconomics. Instead, what we see in the New Testament is we see... This is really getting frustrating this morning. 
I'm trying my best not to let it distract. What we see instead is we see a collective group of people from very diverse backgrounds and very diverse life stages assimilating together and living life together as the body of Jesus Christ. Now, where are some exceptions to this at Mill City? Well, we do see some exceptions. Um, we most definitely value um, investing in our children. Um, we believe that very pragmatically that it's a good thing that children uh, are cared for in our nursery uh, back behind us here. Um, this is a way to serve our parents so that parents, especially the parents of toddlers and infants, um, are worshiping and learning from the scriptures while someone else is caring for the very specific and unique needs of little babies. And the same way with very young, de developing uh, children. So four-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds, um, maybe their, their listening skills and their, uh, uh, their attention spans, are not pro they're not ready to be in here uh, with the vast congregation. But once a child has reached a certain age, and we just believe here that age is probably somewhere around six, seven, eight years old, and it's not a hard and fast rule, it's just a guide that we're trying to encourage our parents, we want those children worshiping in here with the faith family. Because we believe it's important, number one, that parents do not outsource the disciple-making of their children to the church at large, but they have a primary responsibility in developing those children at home. And then secondly, we believe it's very important that those children watch their parents raise their hands and clap their hands and sing songs to Jesus and listen to the scriptures and take notes and learn from the scriptures while all at the same time interacting with other mothers and fathers in the faith in the community. And so we, we try to walk this balance here between serving and assisting our parents, while at the same time empowering children to be a part of the overall life of the local church. Now, where are some other exceptions? There is one place in the scripture where I see where there is a lot of wisdom and even instruction and command from the New Testament to segment in the body of Christ among those of us who are pretty much fully-fledged adults, and I would say probably somewhere between middle school and on. And that's by gender. In Titus chapter 2, here's what the same Apostle Paul shows us. Now this is going to keep, this is going to be in keeping with his talk of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters in the faith. He says in Titus chapter 2, beginning of verse 2, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. In Paul's writing um, here in the book of Titus, it, it is very clear that one of the primary discipleship means in the church is older women instructing younger women and older men instructing younger men. Now, we got to be very careful that we don't put age, uh, age to this. An older man is not someone over 40, and an older woman is not someone over 50, or, or however we want to give definition to it. The reality is, if you are in this room, you are older than someone else in this room, by and large, Right? 
I mean, with few exceptions, everyone in here is older than someone else in this room, and everyone in this room is younger than someone else in this room. And and sometimes it's not all about age-specific. Sometimes it's about longevity and following Jesus. There are some people who are 20 and have walked with Jesus for five years who can really instruct someone who's 25 and just became a follower of Jesus last year. But the picture that we see here is that older men should instruct younger men. Older women should instruct younger women. And this is where I believe is the heart of disciple-making, and this is where so many of our programs, I believe, can, could really be replaced, is life-on-life disciple-making among the genders. Now, that's not exclusive. You're going re- to hear that as we make our way through the day. But it's instructive for us to see this delineation in the text and this contrast in the New Testament between what we see in 21st century Western life. Here's what I want you to hear in this, and who are we? Jesus saves, to himself, saves us to himself, he gives us a new identity. And then he saves us to his people, we gain a new family. And that is most properly expressed in the context of a local congregation just like this. And it is through that expression and through that linking to Jesus that defines who I am. Tim Chalice is a, is a very prominent missiologist and pastor in the United Kingdom. And he wrote a great book called Total Church. I wholeheartedly commend it to you. But he writes a sentence in that book that I wanted to share with you today to sum this up. He says, church is not another ball for me to juggle, but that which defines who I am and gives Christ-like shape to my life. There are many people who won't get involved with a local church because they say, I simply don't have the time. I'd love to be more involved, but I don't have the time. I'm juggling so much. But I believe Chalice is right. Based on what Ephesians 2 tells us, church is the lens through which, the identity through which, that I actually juggle all the rest of my life. This is the family God has saved me to be a part of. It's this family that will actually give definition, meaning, and empowerment for how I live in my home with my biological family. But too often, we reverse those. And we only see the church through the lens as how the church can help me. Now, where are we going? It is inevitable that as you are a part of Mill City for any length of time, you could gain in frustration. And the reason I know that is because I know that we're all imperfect people. And the reason I know that you could get frustrated is because I've experienced this in the past and we've tried to patiently walk alongside those, especially for people who have grown up in a church context. If you have grown up in a church context, your temptation is constantly going to be to compare and contrast Mill City to your former places and you're gonna constantly be tempted to say, why doesn't Mill City do X, Y, or Z? Why do you not offer this program or this program? I think we should just do this. I I want you to know that we hear that and you would not be the first person who's asked those questions. But I want you to know that as we have grown over the last eight years, we have actually grown more solid in our convictions on this idea of church as family and not to program out the ministries of our church, but to really see people in life community together and to keep that schedule clean for the sake of our mission and vision. 
And it's one of those things where, and I want, it, I want you to know, I say this very patiently, I say this very lovingly. Every person that I see in this room today and in some of our faithful members or regular tenders who aren't here today, I would say this. I want nothing more than for every single person sitting in this room today to be a member of, a participant with, and be on mission in Lowell with us at Mill City Church. I'm looking at beautiful faces today. I celebrate the diversity. I celebrate the life stages. I celebrate the backgrounds. While at the same time, I would say this, every church is not the best fit for every single person. And you would always hear from me and from our elders that our greatest desire is that every man, woman, and child would be linked with a faith family and a local expression of the local church where they can serve the Lord wholeheartedly and without distraction. And if that's your place and where we can help you find a place where that would be the better fit for you, we would love to do that. And that's not an attitude of saying, we just want to kick people to the curb. It's the attitude of saying, we want to help people thrive and flourish. And we pray that it would be here at Mill City if you give us a chance and to dive in more deeply. Where are we going? There are gonna be times where you're frustrated and we wanna encourage you to fight through that and dive deeper into community. But at the same time, we're gonna keep doing what we've been doing while at the same time being sensitive to the needs of our congregation and our growing family here. And, and in transitioning, what I wanna do is I wanna go back to Acts chapter two. I wanna go back to Acts two and go back to looking at the early church and some of the foundational practices that personified that early group. And I want to show you the foundational practices of our members here at Mill City. You say, well, I'm not a member of Mill City. Well, we pray one day you would be. So what are our expectations? Because it's helpful to understand what the expectations are here. If you were to be a person who would say, I want to commit here long term. It's also helpful to weigh your expectations of what a local church should be versus the, these expectations and to see if they align. And one of the reasons that we go back here is because I know that one of the temptations of the human heart as followers of Jesus is to always do more. You feel guilty. You feel disconnected. Or you feel like a need is not being met. And so your temptation is to say, if I only did more, or if our church only offered more, then I would be more healthy. My friends would come more. There would be more participation, dot, dot, dot. But we must be careful that we don't mistake in more activity for gospel fruitfulness. Because the two don't always coincide. There are often times where as leadership, and this is where we are as elders here, need to strategically keep the calendar clean and the expectations uh, very defined and very, very clearly laid out so that we don't get too distracted and all of a sudden we're so busy trying to do everything that we're not good at anything. And this is also very true in your own individual life, by the way. So let me, let me explain to you the seven foundational practices that we... Uh, have as expectations of our members. And prayerfully, this might be a way where you would say, you know what, I want to commit to that 
and I want to be a church member as well. And for the Mill City church member in here, I want this to serve as the reminder of who we are and what we want you to be about. The first expectation is simply this. Commit to God and the body by regularly meeting together. Commit to God and the body by regularly meeting together. And what, the reason this is so important is if you see identity as we defined it in Ephesians 2, we recognize that in this individualistic culture of America, we only talk about man or woman's responsibility to God. And it's all about just you and God, you and Jesus. But what we start seeing in the scripture is that the New Testament believers not only had a responsibility to God, but if they were followers of Jesus, they also had a responsibility to their faith family. They had a responsibility to their brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters in the faith. Where do you see this? Look at it at verse two. And they devoted themselves. First of all, look at that word devoted. Devotion is something that you're gonna give yourself to before anything else. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Koinonia, that in-depth loving community between fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so one of our, our first commitments here that we're asking you to make, the biggest expectation, I would say, is to commit to God and the body by regularly meeting together because it is very difficult to devote yourself to someone if you never see them. It's very hard to be devoted to the Lord and devoted to brother and sister in Christ if church and, and, and meetings together and worship on Sunday morning is just simply seen as an addendum to your life, as something that you could just take or leave or just come at your convenience. And so we want to encourage you to commit to God and the body by regularly meeting together. We see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. The writer of Hebrews says there, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, how do we do that? By not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Commit to God in the body. Two, a second, a second expectation is to connect more deeply with God in the body by regularly participating in a community group. In America, the expectation is just simply go to church. That, that's not really an expectation here. It's not about going to church. It's about committing to God and the body by meeting together. See, that's very different. But not just leaving it there. Uh, there. There are a lot of great relationships in this room. Some are surface level and some are very deep. And one of the primary ways in which to move from that surface level to deep is through our community groups. Now you see this in verses 42 and 46. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now there's, there are some theologians that, that believe that what Paul is talking about there with the breaking of bread is most definitely the Lord's Supper or communion. And there's probably some weight to that. But there are other theologians that will also add to that. It's clear from the context because of how much they were together that this was also talking about simply being together, eating meals together. 
If you go on down to verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so when you put verses 42 and 46 together, what I believe is you have the foundation for our community groups. Well, what are community groups here, Chris? Well, here's what they are. It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. Some churches have Sunday school. Some churches have small groups. Some people do Sunday school and small groups. Some churches do prayer meetings. Some churches do all of those things. What we strive to do here in order to keep our calendars clean is we do all of that in one swoop with our community groups. Our community groups meet 6.30 to 9 o'clock on a weekly basis, one day a week. There are groups meeting on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. There are five different groups that meet all across Metro Lowell, and they meet in homes, and they are constructed around these values. From 6.30 to 7.30, we share a meal together. Sometimes one person provides it. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's kind of potluck. Different people bring different things. But we eat together, and we break bread together and just share life with each other. And then from 7.30 to 8.30, we read the scriptures together. Most of the time, we simply just read a chapter or two of Scripture and just look at the big picture principles we learn about God, ourselves, the world, and the gospel. And then from 8.30 to 9, we pray together. We pray together in small groups within that small group. And so from 6.30 to 9, we fellowship together, we break bread together, we study the Scriptures together, and we pray together. All in one night. And there is a qualitative difference and I say this lovingly, there is a qualitative difference of the depth of relationships between those in our church who are involved in community groups and those who are not. And so perhaps in 2017, when we start thinking about the idea of 2017, Mill City Church and you, that this would be the year that you would say, I or my wife and I or my family and I are gonna take a risk and we're gonna join a community group. And by the way, in way of announcement, there are registrations and signups for that at the welcome table today. But this is one of the expectations of our members is to then connect more deeply with God in the body by regularly participating in a community group. Third, pray continually for one another, our leaders and our mission. Some of us need to be reminded of this today, that it is actually an expectation of our members here to pray for one another, to pray for our leaders, and to pray for our ministry and mission of our church. And one of the ways that we try to help you with this is if you look in your worship guides, is this section on page two called for focused prayer. And these change every month because we're trying to train you and show you how to pray for yourself, how to pray for your body here, how to pray for your city, how to pray for your region, how to pray for your nation, and also how to pray for the globe. And so we wanna encourage you to use that. We use them in our community groups. We want to encourage you to use this in your individual walk with God. Every time we meet for members meetings, which is another one of our meetings that we have, that we would encourage you that if you were a member to commit to that. There are some of you who need to hear that today. You're members, but you haven't been to members meeting in a while. You're missing a key part of what it means to be here. Because when we meet together as members, sure, we talk about some business of the church, but that's not the big part of that gathering. The biggest chunk of time in that gathering is praying together. 45 minutes to an hour is spent praying for ourselves, for our church, and for the mission that we support. 
You see this in verse 42. It says they devoted themselves not just to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and not just to breaking bread, but also prayers. We see the example of the early church committing themselves to one another by praying continually for one another. Number four, an expectation is to give sacrificially of your resources to the ministry and mission of our body. That is an expectation. It's an expectation because God desires for his people to be generous people. But he also desires his people to be a sacrificial people. And I tell you, I rejoice over the ways I have seen this in our congregation. Because I believe that our congregation in so many ways, though imperfect, mimic and emulate verse 45. It says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, we have to put things in proper context, right? In the first century, uh, first century followers didn't have 401ks. First century followers probably didn't have two or three different bank accounts at Bank of America or Santander, right? I mean, and that, it was a different world there. And so there were so many aspects of living life as a body where you just saw a need and so you would just provide or you would go sell something so that you could provide it or you would share immediately. Here in America, we live such more self-sufficient lives, don't we? I mean, we, we have checking accounts, we have savings accounts, we have 401ks. And so it's sometimes hard for us to see how this is lived out. But let me give you some anecdotes here in Mississippi, in, in Mill City. I don't want to make you feel bad for laughing at me. There's on my mind today because of the tornado that happened this weekend, so that's where it came out. So um, I've watched single adults who are 26 go serve married couples who were struggling as they first started out with their life by sharing possessions. I can remember one of our guys just giving one of his air conditioners to a young family who had a, a baby and who needed an air conditioner for their room. I, I think about the, 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 one of the greatest examples I've witnessed in all of my years of ministry when a group of young professional men in this church who were all around the age of 23 to 26 years old, and they got together and saw a, a member in our church uh, who was a little older who needed a new vehicle, and they put together several thousand dollars and bought, them, bought him a new truck and then paid for the first year of insurance for him to get him on his feet. I have watched people just give lavishly to a college student to go on mission trip to China over Christmas break, and then this week had that student in their home for dinner so that they could hear how the trip went. And, and I could tell this story 100 times over just from this past year. And then I look at this ministry report from last year, and I see how in just eight years' time, how God has blessed us financially, and how you don't just give. There's so many of you who don't give 10% to support the ministry and missions of your, of your church, but you give 15%, you give 20%, you give 25%, and I know that you're doing that because I hear your testimonies, and it doesn't make sense for a church of this number to give in this measure. And so you've adopted that as the mantra of your lives. But I want to encourage you to not let that bring you to a place of security and safety and to even say, well, I'm just going to pull back a little bit. I'm going to tell you what Paul tells the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, not once but twice. You're doing this 
you're doing it well, but excel still more. Keep growing more and more because there's no shortage of need, especially when you consider the fact that there are 6,000 plus unreached people groups in this world who don't have access to the gospel. Five, love the body by serving in a specific ministry area. One of our expectations of our members is simply this. Serve. Serve in here. This is the household of faith. I said earlier in our announcement that if you're visiting with us today, welcome to our home. Because this facility is basically like our house. And all of the members here have welcomed you into our house. And, and, and I love the, the illustration that one pastor has used. He's, he's, he's used the illustration of the church as literally a house. And there are many of you who are now kind of at the front door. You're on the front porch or you've come into the, uh, the foyer and you're checking things out and you're, you're kind of experiencing what life is like here at Mill City. And that's a perfect place to be in because you can't go further into the house without first coming through the door, right? But for some of you, you've been here for a few weeks, a few months, or maybe even longer, and you're still kind of at arm's length. I want to encourage you in 2017, come on through the door, take your shoes off in the mudroom, and come on in the living room. Come on in and sit at the counter in the kitchen or in the dining room. Or sit down in the family room and really get to know the body here and go deeper and serve in ways and grow in ways that you never imagined you could. There are so many opportunities to simply provide for our family here. How many people at home love doing chores, right? We don't always love doing chores, but chores make the house go, right? I mean, tomorrow is trash day for me, and so if I don't take the trash can to the street... It's going to back up, and then my garage is going to be all nasty, and then that's just a whole world I don't want to open, right? We have to do things in order to keep the house running. But then you who are parents in this room, you know how important it is for not only you and your wife, but also for your son and your daughter or your sons and daughters, for everybody to have a role to play in everything that goes on inside of the household because it teaches ownership, it teaches responsibility, and it reminds them that they're a part of the family. In many ways, the ways of serving in our church function that way. How can you do that? Well, you have to go through a screening process, but there are opportunities to serve our little ones in the back by caring for the babies and caring for our toddlers. And, and that's whether you have children or not. It's whether you are married or not. I love hearing what one of my members said this last week is thinking about the parents' night out on Valentine's Day. As a single man, he said that, I'm paraphrasing him, but when I view that night, these are my kids too because I'm a member of Mill City Church. And so why would I not want to love on them and love on their parents by providing this opportunity for them? It's an opportunity for me to love on them and serve them too. I think about hospitality, greeters. There are people who actually fill those cards every week in your seat back pocket. There are people who clean this place. Aren't we thankful that we have clean toilets with which to sit on today, right? I mean, that, that's, we have that because there's a crew that does that. Um, there's a whole audio technical crew. There are many ways to get involved. And you can come to our Membership Matters class and you can discover more. 
But maybe 2017 would be the year that we put Ephesians 2.19 in practice where Paul says you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God and we, and we begin behaving like members of the family and not outsiders who are just visitors. Oh, I desire so many more people to function as members of the family and join in the work that's going on here. Number six, a sixth expectation. We just got two more. Serve the world by participating in the various outreaches and missions of our body. Serve the world by participating in the various outreaches and missions of our body. Verse 47 really personifies and describes one of my mentalities towards outreach here in our city. In verse 47, the text says that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, it does not take a rocket scientist to recognize that in 21st century America, the church of Jesus Christ does not have a lot of favor with very many people. And one of the reasons is because we are known for all the things that we are against and not what we're for. We're known for our doctrinal stances, which we should be known for, but we're, also, we're not known for the great good that we do in our communities and our cities. And so one of the things that we do here is we simply strive to love our city. And there are ways that we do that. We volunteer at Winterfest. We volunteer at Folk Festival. We just simply go and be the hands and feet. We just want to work. We just want to be a part of the community with no expectation of return. Uh, we, we invest in Merklin Elementary School, which is a very uh, at-risk school in uh, the Acre community over next to UMass Lowell. And we have given so many resources, so many school supplies, and so many hands and feet, and just providing for the children there, for the parents there, and for the, for the, for the teachers there. We invest locally monetarily and when possible and prayerfully in future uh, weeks and months uh, for Living Water Center of Hope. And we're, we're so thankful to have Diana here, Diane with us today. And um, you might want to get to know her. I don't want to embarrass you. But she is a woman that I, I think she's a hero. She gives her life to serving at-risk people, some of the most vulnerable in our communities. And where we have opportunity to bless them, we want to bless them. There's opportunity to serve our community and to love our city. And my mantra has always been from the moment Mill City was planted is this. The people in our city, the people in our campus may not agree with anything we preach. But my goal and my prayer would be that those same people would say, I don't agree with anything they say, but I can't say they're not good for the city. I cannot say that they don't do a lot of good for their neighbors and for their community. That's our heart here. The early church had favor with the people. I pray that Mill City would continue to have favor with the people. We do other things. Some things are just simply to be the hands and feet like I just talked about. There are other opportunities to actually take the gospel of Jesus Christ to places where it hasn't been named. And that's why we invest in places like China that's why we invest in places like Scotland. It's why we're supporting missionaries in India and in Europe and also here locally in New England. We want to see work multiplied for the sake of the gospel. So serve. Look for opportunities to serve through local outreaches and global missions. And then lastly is this. Invest in lives through personal disciple making. Invest in lives through personal Disciple making. When Jesus gave us what we know as the Great Commission, 
He says, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. This teaching is a relational teaching. It is a relational teaching. It's not just didactic. This is didactic. I'm giving you information and you're consuming it. But if you really wanna see the heart of disciple making, it would be I and you sitting down and having a conversation and growing in relationship and also teaching the gospel. This is at the heart of the Great Commission. And we expect our members to be doing this among the body, but also among their neighbors and their families. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One of the biggest questions that I often get uh, as people get involved at Mill City is something along these lines. I really want to be more involved. How can I be more involved? Now, usually what we mean by that is I want to do more things. I want to be involved in more programs. You don't have to create a program to invest in people. And here's one of our core convictions here. Now, there are some things that we will offer for life stage and for specific needs, for specific uh, moments, and we've done that. You've seen that here. You're going to continue to see that here. But it does not require a program for you to look at your neighbor or to look at someone in your community group and say, can we go to coffee this week? Can we go have a dinner together or a lunch together? Hey, would you like to come over to our homes I see you could be a married couple who's been married for 15 years and you just have met a young married couple who's been married just this last year. Hey, we'd love to have you over just to get to know you. Both singles and marrieds cooperating together and investing in lives. Older men investing in older and younger men. Older women investing in younger women. My quickest answer to the question how can I be more involved in Mill City Church is this. Find some lives and start investing your time and resources into those lives. We very strategically and intentionally leave the church calendar very clean because the church who is filled with many, many programs has very little time to invest in the people around them. So if you want to be more involved in 2017, grab a friend. Invest in a life or lives. Invest in relationships. We've gone a little long this morning because I think the, the day is important. It's important because whether you're new here, whether you're a visitor, or whether you've been here for eight years, it's important for us to know who we are. It's important to know what we're about. It's important to know what we value prayerfully so that in 2017 Mill City Church and you will cross a little bit more and you'll move from the foyer into the living room into the dining room and be in the lives of God's people here are our prayers today first of all let us pray that father may we be thankful for the past I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. It doesn't make human sense when you look at all the things that Mill City Church is involved with, is contributing towards, and is doing here in Lowell and around the globe. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. 
I shared with my supervisor at the, uh, at the state convention headquarters this week. I said, I just look back over what God has done over the last eight and a half years through our church. And I recognize that it's not because of me that this has happened. It's in spite of me that this has happened. I prayed this week in my prayer time with God, Father, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done in and through this ministry. To God be the glory. Let us be thankful for the past. Secondly, may we pray this. Father, uh, may we be excited about the present. May we be excited. It, it is very hard to look at this, at this report that is in your worship guides today and not be excited about what God is doing through this faith family. And, and if you have contributed towards this, whether with your time or your resources, I want you to be excited. And here's why this is important. Because the enemy would love nothing more than to still kill and destroy your excitement or your joy by pointing you to what you don't have or what our church doesn't do and take you away from all the things that God is doing in you and through your brothers and sisters. So may we pray today, God, make us excited about the present. And then lastly, may we be expectant for the future. One of the prayers that we constantly pray here is God bless us so that we may bless others. Father, send your blessings to us that we may spread your blessings through us. May we be expectant for the future where we look and we celebrate what God has done and what he is doing, but may we also look forward and say, Father, we celebrate what you're going to do. Would you celebrate with us today? For those of you who are members and regular attenders, are you excited about what God is doing at Mill City? Aren't you glad that you're a part of something so much bigger than you and so much bigger than your family? Let that color how we engage the world and engage our city and our campus in 2017. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to stand. I want us to stand and I want us to join hands. I want you to join hands with your neighbor. I want the two sides to join hands across the rows. And let this be a sign of solidarity as the brothers and sisters of the faith who are in this place. And we're going to pray this closing prayer. And then after I say amen, you can find your, your standing in your seat. Remain standing as our guys lead us in corporate worship in response. Father, you're a good father. You give good gifts to your children. And as we looked around the room today and we see this diverse body of believers, we recognize that the people in this room are your gift to us. And so let us receive them as those gifts that they are. Father, we look back at what you've given to us. We look at the numbers. We look at the projects. We look at the missions what you have done in and through this congregation over the last year. And we just simply say, thank you. And we give all glory, all honor, all credit to you. For without you, apart from you, we would be nothing. Father, we look at what you are doing in lives in the present. And we simply say, we're excited. We recognize it. 
we embrace it. And Father, I pray that we would also look expectantly to the future, that we would say, Father, keep doing it more and more. Keep blessing us more and more. And Lord, I pray that in our hearts, that you would guard us from disunity, that you would protect us from the enemy, that you would keep us from grumbling and complaining, and that rather than comparing ourselves to every other church or to every other place, that we would simply embrace who you've made us to be here, who you've made this family to be, and that you would then use us to multiply more and more that your family may grow here in Lowell and at UMass Lowell. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, giving all glory to him. Amen.